the greatest motivation for overcoming sin is to love God. When we love Him, then we will really want to overcome sin because we will see what it really is. We will begin to know in our inward life on how sin grieves Him, and it will begin to break our hearts. There is victory. There is victory. But it comes with seeing our need. It comes with crying out to God. And it comes with, most importantly, saying, God, help me to love you more than self, more than sin, more than this world. What's the best way to deal with a polluted stream? Deal with the source of the contamination. What's the best way to help a struggling Christian? Show them the source of the sin and help them deal with it God's way. Thanks for joining us for another episode in our series, Victory. It's time to apply everything we've learned so far. It's time to go to the source and deal with it because God's word is clear. If we've been living in sexual sin, we don't just need a change in our behaviors. We need a transformation at the deepest level, our hearts, wills, and desires. Originally, when we started this series, we figured that it would probably turn out to be 10 or 12 episodes maybe, but it's really expanded. By the time we finish everything we have planned, this series will turn out to be 20 episodes. I hope that most of you listening have been with us since the beginning of the series because we've been trying to show you that being filled with the love of God and then living that love out toward people is the way to live in victory. Think about it this way. Jesus said, out of the heart of a person comes evil thoughts such as murder, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, lying, and slander. If sin is originating in our hearts, what would happen if our hearts were full, not of evil thoughts, but full of the love of God? How would our lives change? But you see, that's just it. If our lives are full of sexual sin, that means they aren't full of the love of God. And we need to know why that is. And we need to know what to do about it. To start off today's show, evangelist Glenn Meldrum helps us understand what to do if our hearts are full of evil desires. Well, Glenn, I want to start off with a really foundational question because everything that we talk about today is going to be based on this one question, and so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. When we talk about sexual sin or really any other life-controlling behavior, Mm -hmm. when we say that that is a heart issue, what does that mean? Well, first off, I would say that All sin is addictive to the human personality. Hmm. So not any, just some particular one. So gossip can be just as addictive as anything else. Uh It's just some sins people are, uh, accept more. Uh And others are just more blatant outward because of what they do. Sure. And so the nature of sin is that it's in the heart, 
because that's really, according to the Word of God, kind of where everything resides in us of the of this inward life there. Hmm. And uh, you know, I don't want to uh, disqualify the aspect of the intellect, you know, because that's referred to in Scripture as mind, which they do go hand in hand. But you can think rightly about certain things and still have your heart wrong. Hmm. And so the thinking isn't necessarily what's necessary. We're told by Paul that we are saved when we believe in our heart, hmm. not in our head. Hmm. Okay, so it is the, the heart situation. But the root of sin is going to come out of the heart. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 18, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. It's what comes out of the heart. That's where sin resides. That's where it is built and developed and mm-hmm. begins to manifest itself. And it will always eventually manifest itself. What is in us is going to come out sure. sooner or later, yeah. whether it's righteousness or unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And a person may put on for a time a facade that's on the outward, but eventually something is going to reveal uh, mm. what's inside of us. And that's why in the book of James, when it talks about the tongue, you know, the tongue is a source of of evil that comes out of us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be seen in that particular way. So it's a heart issue. And yeah. until the heart changes, there can be no real change of life. So mm-hmm. just to use an example, you can have a man that's an alcoholic and he could, whether through some secular program or just sheer determination, stop drinking. Now he's referred to as a dry drunk because mm. he is still doing the same things inwardly, uh, manipulator and all the other dynamics of it, but he's just not drinking. Mm. So what he basically did was change one sin for some other sins. A sinner is going to be a sinner no matter what, and that's all he can be. And so like scripture says, can a leopard change its spots? No, we can't change our own spots. We can't change what we are but there's power that can come into us to change us. Mm -hmm. So the issue is the heart. And that's where we have to really look if we want to go any further and see how to change and have not just change that's temporal, but change that is going to be lasting. Yeah. Yeah. And really, this is where I think it begins to get uncomfortable for people because Mm -hmm. now what you're saying is that what I do is ultimately my responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's not my economic status. It's not my upbringing. It's not what people have done to me. Although those do have some factor Mm -hmm. in the way we act, ultimately, when I stand before God, I have to be responsible for my own actions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, our culture really, I think, plays to our sinful desire to excuse ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read something that Pastor Steve wrote in his book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry. He said, can you imagine God saying, you shall not murder, unless, of course, you are abused as a child, then it's understandable. How ridiculous. Yet in the news, as well as on today's talk shows, many people make excuses and rationalize their mistakes and sinful lifestyles by pointing an accusing finger at their relatives or others from their past. The truth is, before a person can ever hope to overcome habitual sin, he must first be willing to take responsibility for his own actions. And that's a pretty dogmatic statement, but I know that you do agree with him on Mm -hmm. that. Um, Why is it that overcoming sexual sin or any other sin is contingent on taking responsibility for our actions? Well, 
I guess if we deny the reality of the problem, how in the world are we going to fix it? You know, if you have a knock in your engine in your car uh-huh. and all you do is turn up the radio, you know, you're just right. denying of the reality that's <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. And uh, it's not going to fix itself. So we have no ability to fix ourselves. We can alter a few things here or there, but mm-hmm. not not change who we are on the inside, mm. not change our character. Mm. And so some things can be refined by the natural man through effort or whatever. You know, somebody that swears can, with some work, stop swearing. Sure. But that doesn't mean they've changed. It yeah, just yeah. means all they did was stop swearing. Hmm. Um, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. And I think that's interesting because what he's saying there is that this folly in our life, this sin in our life, we're so prone to blame others for. And here, who's being blamed? God. God. And so you made me like this. Mm. Uh, We're mad at him because circumstances in our life where we're reaping what we sowed and we're angry at him because we're reaping what we sow. Sure. And it's like the criminal that gets angry at the individual that turned them in or the police officer that arrested him and not at himself. So he doesn't look in the mirror and say, wow, what an ugly person I am. Yeah, look at yeah. what evil I did. Yeah, It's easier to blame. Yeah, And that is the nature of sin. That's right from the garden. When you look at the Garden of Eden uh-huh. and Adam and Eve's uh, sin, when God confronted them, you know, Adam went and blamed God and Eve at the same time. He said, it's the woman you gave me. Yeah, yeah. And then Eve went and said it was the serpent's fault and the serpent just laughed. <laughs> is all that it is. So it's it's this blame game has gone on for so long. Uh-huh. It's just in the American culture, we have refined it. We have turned it into an art. It's a lifestyle. Blame everything on something uh-huh. else. So it's like with going back to the alcohol issue, the drunk issue. You know, so what does the person say? Well, it was because my parents were alcoholics yeah, that right. I'm an alcoholic. Right. Well, the problem with this is sin is willed. So for a person to sin, they must will a particular thing that is contrary to what they know is right. Hmm. And so God gave us a conscience and we violate our conscience so that we know that what we're doing is wrong. And this is the same with children. I mean, children grow up and they may not fully comprehend it all, but as they're growing up, they know when they are doing wrong. And but yet they'll do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so it's so easy to blame, to lie, to make excuses, which is such a a sad thing. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the prophet Ezekiel says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked man will be charged against him. And so we are going to have to give an account before God for what we have done, for our sins. And we will have rewards for what we have done in choosing to follow Christ Mm -hmm. and to die to our old sinful nature. But it's always willed. And that's why it is a hard issue, because it goes right into this thing that we want. We want something that's forbidden. And so we go after something that's forbidden and then justify why that which is forbidden has become now addictive to us, that is controlling to us. And so we blame the breakdown of a marriage on a spouse. We blame our sin upon the parents or bad upbringing or my parent wasn't there. But nobody can make a sin. The devil can't make a sin. A parent can't make a mm-hmm, sin. Mm-hmm. When we sin, we choose to sin. Yeah. And that means that we are responsible for our sin. Yeah. And until we accept responsibility for what we have done, 
there can be no forgiveness because mm. there will be no repentance. Mm-hmm. So repentance in itself is a confession of accepting responsibility that, God, you are right, I'm wrong. Yeah. And so then we ask forgiveness from what we have done that's wrong. And so it's accepting responsibility. Yeah. And until we do that, there can be no reconciliation between us and God or reconciliation between a husband and wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there they are blame shifting yeah, and yeah. you know, putting all the responsibility on each other until they will take the path of repentance and accept responsibility for their sin. Mm-hmm. There's no hope of healing for the marriage. Yeah. And that works in so many areas of our life with it. And so it's uh, an extremely important thing that we accept responsibility. Yeah, you know, again, this gets so uncomfortable because the Mm -hmm. implication is, if only I wasn't me, then I wouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, if only I could just be a different person or only if my heart was was different, I wouldn't be this way. Uh, Not as a way of blame shifting again, but as a way of taking real deep responsibility that it's so ingrained into who I am to be like this, that's why I do what I do. And one of the things I see in the New Testament is that will and desire are the same word. It's the desire comes out of who we are. Mm And that's what causes us to reach out for sin. To, like you said, we desire this forbidden object. So I want to help people not only take responsibility for their actions, but also for their desires. How, do you, how would you help someone to take responsibility for that? Well, the problem isn't as much what we do, but who we are. Mm-hmm. That's where the real problem is. Mm. And that's where people, they'll just try to put a Band-Aid on their cancer, in essence, and hope that it sure. disappears. But the problem is deep inside of us. It's what happened to us through Adam's uh, rebellion that the sin nature was passed on to each of us. And so we have this sin nature we can't get away from, yeah. and we will have to deal with it all the days of our life. Now, there's a difference between uh, the Christian that is wanting to overcome and the individual that gives themselves over. Mm. Totally two different things. Okay. So there is that inward struggle that we're going to have if we want to overcome. Okay. And that will be a battle until we die. And then in death, there'll be this transformation that is so radical when we end up in heaven that this yeah. old sinful nature will be eradicated and a new nature that I think we have an impossible time even comprehending because we don't have a point of reference other than looking at Jesus, Uh. that in that time we'll have that perfect holy nature, Mm -hmm. uh, never to stray and rebel and sin again. Wow. A verse that I think really fits this issue is James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. What an interesting statement. So God doesn't tempt us, so we can't blame God. Okay. Now, there is a devil, and people want to downplay his existence, but there is a devil, Uh and temptation is something that comes from outside of us, not from inside of us. Hmm. But temptation comes from outside of us at those things of our sinful nature. Yeah. And so it's working at that. So really, the areas of temptation in our life are just expressions 
of what the problem really is in us, and we need to pay attention to it. Okay. If we don't pay attention to it, then we're just either going to ignore it or deny the reality or or just go in other directions. That's never going to really solve the problem. Sure. So here we have to see that we are tempted in the areas of our weakness. And devils are evil, but they're not stupid. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they're not going to waste their time yeah, yeah, tempting yeah. us in areas that's it's, not going to bother us. That is so true. And so they know how to do it. And they also know how to go about this. And sometimes it'll be like a flood. Sometimes it'll be like a barrage of arrows coming against us. Uh-huh. Other times it'll be a slow, steady drip. Just a drip, drip, drip. Just, yes. Little yeah. by little, wearing us away. And slowly uh-huh. we start giving into it. And yet it's coming at what we are on the inside in the natural. Uh-huh. And so we have to learn from this and see the areas of temptation and begin to deal with it. And it's not going to go away by ignoring it. It's not going to go away even by acknowledging it. It will only be overcome when we do acknowledge it, accept responsibility for it, and then begin to cry out to God. When you look at the addictions that people are in, and, you know, like I said earlier, all sin is addictive. But, you know, specifically here dealing with sexual sin and such, those are all choices of the will. And then when they choose to go down a particular path, it gets greater hold of them. It possesses mm-hmm, them more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like an, an individual, and I'm um, saying this here from a, a story I know from the past, of an individual that gave themselves, started giving themselves over to a particular sin, a sexual sin. And prior to that, they hadn't been enslaved to it. But mm-hmm. guess what it came from? It first came from this individual starting to look at porn. Hmm. So porn began creating a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And so then this person that was actually at the time a virgin went out onto a dating service, which is just free prostitutes, basically, Hmm. and uh, hooked up with a guy, never did this before, and then starts plunging themselves into this deeper and deeper. Now, the very first time they did this, there was tremendous guilt. Hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. tremendous guilt. But yet that tantalizing thing of sin was there. The second time, there was guilt, but not as intense. Right, right. The third time. And what started going on is eventually the hardening of the heart. Because with each successive act is the hardening of the heart. Yeah. Because the will is making a choice, says, I want this, no matter what it does. But the failure to understand the nature of sin is that they don't see that with the sin... Uh, comes chains, Mm, mm. comes bondage. And then you're no longer doing it because this is something that has the thrill. Now it is the sheer addiction to it. You are controlled. You are driven by it. And if I might use the illustration is uh, you become then a puppet to the devil. He Mm -hmm. holds the strings of your life and he now is driving you, compelling you because he not only wants to use the sin to ruin us, but he wants to make us agents of hell to Mm -hmm. ruin other people. Mm And so it's very serious. If we don't understand what our sin is, if we don't comprehend its problem and the horrendous evil of it, then we're going to continue doing it. Yeah. Because we are given over to sin, because we are prone to love sin, Mm -hmm. even when it's destroying us. Mm. You know, when you start to dig into some of these questions, you start realizing how serious these issues are. They are. The way we handle our desires is literally an issue of life and death. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jesus is really clear. You nurse the desire for revenge or for adultery or you nurse the love of the world and the wrath of God 
is coming down upon people for these things. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we handle our desires is vitally important. But you know, this brings up the question in my mind, why make us this way? If he know if God knows that the desires in man are so strong and can lead to such destruction, why make us this way? Well, I guess we have to look at God's initial intent. And that takes us back to the beginning of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And we were created in the image of God. And so not to be like cults will try to say we're little gods or anything else, but we were made in his image for the purpose of being able to fellowship with him, to mm-hmm. know him, to enjoy him. And being made in his image in a lim- very limited degree, we were given emotions and intellect. Mm-hmm. And God created us different from animals and other creatures because he wanted us to be able to know the joy of his love, to be able to revel in his love. And not that God needed our love, but it's out of the superabundance of his kindness and benevolence that he wanted creatures to shower that love upon that they might know him. Mm -hmm. And so we were created to love. But the problem inherent with love is that there must be a will. And if there's no will, then there's no love. Mm. So we could be, in essence, organic robots Mm -hmm. that just do what we do because we're taught to do it. And there's no real love behind it. It's just the motivation of the programming, in essence, that's in us. So we go and we say, I love you, but there's no emotion, no feel, no reality of it. Yeah, yeah. So God has emotions that I think are beyond what we can even understand. And his emotions are infinite and they're perfect. So there's no end to the depths and heights of his emotions. So he loves deeper than we could ever even fathom, but he also hurts deeper and sorrows deeper than we could ever even dream of. Mm. And so God giving us these emotions, when they were perfect in the garden, they functioned just like they were supposed to. Sure, There was perfect love and joy. And of course, in that setting, there wasn't the sorrow, but the potential was there in that character that it could have been. Mm. When sin entered the world, it didn't do way with emotions. It didn't stop us from being who we are, but sin altered who we are. It changed us in, if I might say it like this, in our spiritual DNA, who we are on the inside. Sure. And it altered, so it perverted our emotions. Okay. And with that is going to be the emotion and that which is tied to the sex drive. Mm. And so the problem we have is we are these people now that we're giving these wonderful gifts from God, but we have perverted them. We have twisted them. Mm. And by sending them or giving them over to things that are wrong and evil and contrary to God, they become very intense and they become very controlling and very Mm. damnable if they're not under the rule of God. Mm. And so these emotions of ours uh, can be beautiful when they're conquered. They're horrendous when they're not. And so I understand when people really end up saying, well, why did he make us like this? Uh, Right. Well, I guess we could flip the thing around, says, why aren't you dealing with it according Mm. to God's remedy? Mm. Because without doing that, we are just going to do blame shifting. God, it's Uh your fault. I have these intense emotions, these intense uh, sexual desires. It's your fault because you made me like this. If you didn't make me like this, then I wouldn't do that. And if we stood before God, all blame shifting would be done. We would stand before him, have to give an account, and he would say, why didn't you die to that? Mm, I offered mm. you everything necessary for life and godliness. Why didn't you deal with that? Mm. And so 
we don't have to be slaves to our emotions. Mm. We don't have to be slaves to our evil desires because God has made a way of escape. Mm. And he made the way of escape in the most phenomenal way possible. He didn't just give us power to overcome. He himself became the remedy. Mm. So he went to the cross and took the consequence of our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven and that we could, who are naturally uh, wicked, that we could become righteous through his work on the cross. Mm. So in that righteousness, there's the ability to not just redeem the soul, but to redeem the emotions. Mm. So the redemption of God is to redeem everything. And in the end, in heaven, they will be fully, completely, and absolutely redeemed. In this life, we are in the process of sanctification or being set apart. Yeah, And that is the process of redeeming the man, redeeming the person, redeeming the emotions in the heart, redeeming the intellect, mm. you know, so that we are becoming more and more like Jesus as time goes on. And the benefit that comes out of that is as we mature in this, we can know him more. Mm. We can draw nearer to him and know fellowship with him in a sweeter way. Mm -hmm. He offers that to us. It's freely offered. It's just mm. a matter of whether we're going to follow it or not. Yeah. Yeah, the thing I'm thinking of as you're talking about this is that God has created man with such dignity. Absolutely. And one day we're going to understand just how fearfully and wonderfully he really mm -hmm. made us. Absolutely. It's going to be a beautiful thing to, to be able to give free reign to everything inside of us because there's nothing mm -hmm. defiling about it. Yeah. Man, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the reasons that people play around with sexual lust or any other kind of lust is because they just don't see how serious it is. They might understand that it's destructive or damaging at some level, but I think there's another perspective that I'd like for you to bring out. How does God see it? Well, that's a, a, a good question. In Proverbs, and I have to give it to you in my own wording because I can't quote it exactly, but it says, because judgment is not quickly executed, it's set in men's heart to do evil. Hmm. And so what that's basically telling us is because we don't get a zap of lightning every time we sin, we think there's no consequence to it. Hmm. So we downplay sin. We mm -hmm. don't think it as evil as what it really is. And because we don't think it's as evil as what it is, we don't really deal with it. Hmm. And the understanding of what right and wrong is cannot be what comes from our culture, not even the church culture. It has to come from the Word of God and from looking at Jesus. Because if we want to see what perfect man is, there was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus. And yeah. we need to look at him, study him, and understand him that we can see what it means to be human. So Jesus didn't just come to redeem us and save us from our sins. He came to show us and model before us what humanity really is. And in modeling what humanity is, he has also went and showed us how evil we really are, because now we have mm -hmm. a mirror to put ourselves up against, that we can see Jesus, we can see who he is, and we can then understand uh, what we were meant to be and are failing to do it. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand what sin is, it's because we don't understand who God is, and we don't understand the God that has revealed himself as holy and the God that took upon flesh and blood and walked this planet mm. who was perfect in holiness and never sinned. And if we don't see the truth of our fallen nature, then we don't see Jesus. Mm. Now, 
Jesus ended up making a point that I think is very important and one that is often quoted, I know, from pure life, but it's uh, Matthew chapter 5. In verse 28, it says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. Now, before I read on, let me just say something here. We have to understand who's talking. This isn't a mere prophet. Mm. This isn't just some man. This is God incarnate, that he stepped down out of heaven to be our redeemer. So we have to comprehend who is speaking because the importance of this then becomes all the more because this is God speaking. So now he's the one who went and says, if you lust after woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then in other places in scriptures, many, many other places, but such as uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where it says that no fornicator, no adulterer, mm-hmm. no homosexual offender will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And that's an absolute, you know? I mean, that's not a maybe. So we are given the reality of what that is in the word of God, that it is hostile to God because it's contrary to his character. He is holy, and sin is not just that we made a mistake. Yeah. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is willful rebellion against the God who is holy that has given us his law. Now, Jesus went on to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Now, he goes on and brings out some other illustrations here, but here is God incarnate talking about the serious nature of sin and how it needs to be dealt with seriously. Mm-hmm. It's not a flippant issue. I mean, this is serious because yeah. if it causes people, their eternal soul, to be in hell forever, that is more serious than people comprehend. Yeah. And so they will give an account. All of us will give an account before God. And the only thing that will be there is truth. Mm. No lie, no blame shifting, because that's what blame shifting is, is a lie, believing a lie. So people blame shift and blame others because they're believing a lie and following that lie and have maybe even convinced themselves of the truth of that because they have the supposed experts in this world that teach them to think like that. But here's God saying something very different. He says, your sin is so evil, your sin is so offensive that you need to do violence to your sin. Hmm. Now, he's not telling us to physically cut off a hand or physically pluck out an eye because that will not change who we are on the inside. Yeah. So you could cut both hands off and doesn't mean that you're not going to be touching with your eyes and touching with your heart right. and mind. Right. So it, it has to be dealt with in the inward life. And he says, there's only one way to deal with it. You must cut it off. You must kill it because that's how evil it is. And if you don't deal with it in the way that I have prescribed, then you are going to have to pay the consequences of it. You yeah. will reap what you sow. Yeah. You know, our hope is that throughout this episode, people are listening and they know that God has uh, his finger on them and that they just need to take full ownership and responsibility for their actions. No more blame shifting, no more minimizing, justifying, whatever other way they've dealt with their, or I should say, whatever way they haven't dealt with their sin. Um Can you give some practical ways that someone could really take ownership? Well, I just mentioned the one that Jesus spoke of about cutting off. Okay. Mm -hmm. And 
that is commonly referred to, at least in many circles, of crucifying our sinful nature. Okay, uh-huh. In Luke 14, Jesus told us that if we don't pick up our cross and follow him, we can't be his disciple. So sin isn't going to just disappear. You can't mm-hmm. have somebody pray for you and just have it gone. Yeah, yeah. So the remedy for overcoming sin has a couple dimensions of it, but one of the dimensions is dying to it. Mm. That's where we have the problem because we love our sin. And people mm-hmm. who say they don't love sin are lying to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. They love their sin. We love our sin. Yeah. And we will only have to die to something we love. Um, I do not have to die to eating Brussels sprouts and asparagus. <laughs> I hate them. You know? So if you hate something already, you don't have to die <laughs> to it. That's very true. So we die to that which we naturally love, that yeah. our sin nature goes after. And so if you're not going to die to it and go through the process of what the Word of God teaches on dying, then there's no victory. You will never have victory. Mm. But there's something more. And uh, Jesus told us in Luke 14 again, just prior to the aspect of uh, picking up our cross and following him, he said that if we do not love him more than family, friends, everything in this life, we cannot be his disciple. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's not just enough to get sick of our sin. Mm. It's not just enough to try and and kill this, which we know is evil. And it's not just enough to start to experience brokenness in our life, which is good. Brokenness is great. I mean, Mm -hmm. it starts helping us see the reality of our humanity, but it's not enough. Mm. There must be something more. Mm. And the more has to be a better love. Mm. We've got to have the motivation that is greater than just our love of sin to begin to love him. Yeah. And when we love him, then we will really want to overcome sin because we will see what it really is. We will begin to know in our inward life, we'll know on how sin grieves him. We will feel that grief inside of us as it's grieving him. Mm. And it'll begin to break our hearts. The greatest motivation for overcoming sin is to love God. That's why it's the first and greatest commandment. There is Mm. no commandment that's greater than that one. And it's the greatest for a reason. We must have that love for God. And when we aren't overcoming sin, the root issue of that is going to be we're not loving God. Mm. If we want to overcome, at the root of it is going to be loving God. And in that place of loving God is going to be the effort to overcome sin. Now, mm. there's all kinds of people that can say they love Jesus and they're in practice of sin. Yeah, yeah. Jesus told us in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. Yeah. And then one of the times he said it in the negative, if you don't obey me, it's because you don't love me. Mm. Now, people can try and speak against that, but it's it accomplishes nothing. The reality is we practice sin because we love it. We practice sin because we're not loving God. Mm-hmm. So if we want to overcome sin, we need to start loving him. But how do we love him who we have not loved, who we are naturally at war with? Yeah. That we have to see what needs to be done in our life and begin to go to him and say, God, help me to love you more than sin. Help me to love you more than myself. Help me to love you more than this self-absorption that is just consuming me. Help yeah. me to love you because yeah, yeah. I can't do that. Mm. Because we can't change ourselves, but God responds to that kind of prayer. And let me just say, God is always the first cause. So that we would even pray a prayer that would say, God, help me to love you more, is God working in our life, that we might even begin to ask that question. And of course, he doesn't rob from us our free will, so we must make that choice. But when we begin to cry out, there is grace that's there, that he will begin to help us. And I wish I could say that it was this 
explosion that, you know, everything's yeah. done Instantaneous and taken care of. process. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. You know, at the end of Romans 7, you know, Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. He brings this out after the battle that he's speaking about in his inward life where he wants to do what is right and does evil and, uh-huh, and the uh-huh. evil that he doesn't want to do, he keeps doing. And, you know, this tension that's in him. And he says, what a wretched man I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And then he gives the answer, thanks be unto God yeah. through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is victory. There is victory. But it comes with seeing our need, it comes with crying out to God, and it comes with, most importantly, saying, God, help me to love you more than self, more than sin, more than this world. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, because the last question that I had really was, how can our desires really change? And you just shared that with us, because really, that's what you're saying. For me to really love God, whom naturally I'm hostile toward, Mm -hmm. that is explaining and expressing the most fundamental, deep heart change. I'm a different person. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there any other thing that you would share about our desires changing? Well, I would say another thing, and it goes hand in hand with loving God, but it's surrender. Mm -hmm. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we give our lives as living sacrifices. Uh, We give up the control. We give up the desire to rule our lives, Mm -hmm. and we come under his rule, submitting to him. Uh, We should, by now be so sick of ourselves that we're crying out, you know, what can I do? How how do I overcome? Uh-huh. The problem is that not, not enough people are asking that. Mm. But when we really want to overcome, he will give us the grace mm. to overcome. There is victory. And people that practice sin are not in grace. Yeah. They are living in rebellion. Mm. They use grace as an excuse, but that's yeah. not how it works. Grace yeah. is as infinitely victorious as God is victorious. Mm. And so... Grace operating in a human soul makes them to overcome. But that surrender is so important that we stop trying to be God, that we stop trying to rule our own life, that we finally admit, I don't know what can even make me happy. And we come to him and we begin to bow to his rule. We invite his rule. We want it. Uh, Just this morning in my own time of, of reading, I was reading on Joshua and how Joshua had entered into the promised land. And the people were terrified because Joshua had come and was the Lord was giving them victory. So this one people from this area of the promised land there deceived Joshua and the elders. They dressed up like they came from a long ways mm, and mm-hmm. ended up saying, uh, well, we just want to make a covenant with you. We've heard of your terror and, and of your the God that's giving you victory. And so the whole time they were deceiving, but Joshua and the elders made a covenant with them. But there's a verse in that section of Scripture that says that they did not inquire of the Lord. Mm. And so they didn't inquire because in that area, they thought they had the answer. They were not submitting to him. Mm. When you look at Lot, you come to the life of Lot, and these angels are taking him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And before that event, what happens is when Abraham says, pick what land you want, it tells us this terrifying statement. He says, and Lot chose for himself. Mm. And so what he chose, he went to go into Sodom, in the area of Sodom, and there was money there, there was wealth, and all the things that would feed the flesh. And so this place of surrender is one of the hardest places we'll ever have, Mm. but it's one of the most important because we need to learn how to come under his rule. I've never remodeled a house, but I do know this. 
If the house is falling down because the foundation is shot, there's no point in fixing the house. We've got to tear it down and start over. It's the same for those who have been living in sexual sin. God wants to come in his mercy and love and tear out the old foundation so that the rebuilding can take place on something solid. I want to share just a little personal testimony and then something out of Matthew 7 that's just been on my heart burning. and I think it's very applicable to all of us and it's very helpful. When I uh, first came here, after growing up and living in a Christian home and being very much involved in my church throughout my whole life, the last thing that crossed my mind was that at the root of my issues was a relationship with God. I really did think that um, my relationship with God was very good and I just had some issues, you know. Sexual sin being one of them, sure, but other issues. And But overall, I thought I was really doing well with my walk with the Lord. And I, I came here and started really seeking the Lord in desperation and, and began to really open up my heart and my life and just ask God to search it and really have His way. And you look at this, Lord, and what do you see? And how do you see me, God? Because, you know, I, I see some problems, but what do you see? And that was very helpful. It was a life-changing, life-saving experience because what the Lord saw and what I saw were two different things. <laughs> you see, what I saw was something pretty good, but what the Lord saw was a life built on self-righteousness and pride. And I had never looked at it that way before. Never even crossed my mind. Really. And it's like, I remember I was sitting on that picnic table behind the Laz and just having this kind of epiphany moment with the Lord and just, and I'm running through a checklist of all the things that I had done in my life, you know, my time in EMS, my time serving others on the ambulance, um, my time in the military, my time worshiping and, and church services, playing violin, the ministry that I had been involved with, Bible studies, I'd I just was going through an inventory of all the things that I valued in my life that I thought were good. Sure, I knew the wrong things, but these are the good things, Lord. And he was just, it was like I would shoot something up there and immediately self-righteousness and pride. It just, it just showed it to me. I just saw it. Like, wow, I did that just for vainglory. Bam, selfish ambition. You did this not to serve others. And one after another, it just would go through and... Man! That was a uh, very difficult experience for me to go through. Because at the end of this just unveiling of my life before the Lord, I realized that I had nothing. Like my spiritual bank account was empty. And now I had a, you know, a whole new reason for being here. Because not, yes, I needed to get rid of my sexual sin. That was important. But now I'm like, I need to work on my relationship with the Lord. Because I thought I had something that was really good, but it turns out it's really not that good. And there's probably very little value to it, and I don't even know what is. I got much more bigger fish to fry than 
just like my sexual sin. Yeah, that was important, but like, whoa, I gotta get saved. <laughs> I gotta get like my relationship with God right. I'm in a bad place. And I just began over the next several months to really cry out to the Lord for greater brokenness because I was still and can still be <laughs> very stubborn. And so I just needed the Lord to just break this, my will to just break what I thought to be true and right, to just destroy it, to put his thoughts where my thoughts were. And that kind of a testimony I hear time and time again. The details change, but you just hear that often. I mean, every one of the staff could tell you that. Probably 50% of the students of you guys that have been here for a while could tell you similar type of experiences. It's just the way it is. And so, in some ways, I just want to say that it's okay. That's normal. <laughs> it's okay to have an encounter with the Lord here that totally leaves you undone. To a place where you're like, what's of value in my life? Because everything I thought that was of value just got destroyed. So now I, I really just don't know. That's okay. That's a good place to be here. Expect it. And in, in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus explains this process very well. He says, Therefore, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after he had given all great teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, right? All those new doctrines and thinkings and just different ways of even considering lust and murder and, and considering others. I mean, just wow, what a powerful teaching. Everyone was like, what in the world? Anyway, therefore... Be, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. That explains it. You see, I had heard all of the things growing up. I had read the Bible. I had the words of Jesus in my mind. I could recite many of them to you. So I began building my house with all the different things that I liked to do, my career, my ministry opportunities, all the things that I built up on my house, right? They both did that. They both heard. They both built. But one man was doing what God told him to do, and the other man was being disobedient and not doing what God told him to do. And there was my problem. <laughs> I wasn't doing what I was reading, what I knew God said I had to do. No, I wasn't doing that. So down came my house. It was built on self. Sand, me, instability. I was so unstable before I came here. I hear like these floods and the winds and I'm thinking <laughs> it wouldn't have taken too much. <laughs> Knock me down. So unstable. But I like the end of it, he says, and great was the fall. That has to happen. It's okay. Let the whole house come tumbling down. That's okay. <laughs> That's normal. 
Expect it. That's what should happen. And you know what? It is not a fun experience. Nobody will tell you that it's fun. It is not a pride-boosting experience. It's not a self-glorifying experience. There's nothing in it for self. It's nothing but humiliating oftentimes because it's just bringing down all the wrong things I've done. All the things that I, it's just not, no one, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you. It's not a fun experience. But at the end of it, I promise you and I can guarantee you, it's my own testimony, and you'll probably hear some more testimonies tonight, that times of refreshing come with the presence of the Lord when you're done with that grueling repentance and that coming down process and the terrifying aspects of it and the instabilities and what is true, what is right, I don't even know. Candy, I used to be able to do this, but I can't even tie my shoes right. I'm just a mess. <laughs> but come on, how hard can it be? <laughs> Let the Lord meet you there, and I promise you, times of refreshing are coming. It's a good thing. Hallelujah. That's where the Lord saved my soul. In today's culture, when it comes to finding freedom from sin, a lot of people want a quick fix that's painless. But what was being expressed in this episode is God's way to bringing someone into freedom from sin. And it starts out with that raw, deep, painful confession that I'm just wrong. My heart is wrong. My desires are wrong. My priorities and goals are wrong. I don't need a little help. I need a new heart. For professing Christians in sexual sin, this is the message that needs to be heard. You remember King David? After seeing his sin, he fell down before the Lord and said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't follow in Saul's footsteps and blame other people or minimize his sin. He took full responsibility, and God saw his repentance, and he didn't despise him. Instead, he put away David's sin, and he restored him. This is the same pathway that we must walk. In the next episode, we're going to talk about really crying out for God's mercy to fill us, but we need to be emptied first. Please don't try to sidestep this. If you need to be emptied of yourself, please go to God and ask him to do that work inside of you, no matter what it costs. Ask him to make you desperate and broken. Ask him to help you to see the ugliness of your sin and to lead you into real repentance. Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives. He's been doing it for thousands of years and he can do it for you. But you have to go through his process. Please, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's it for this episode, and we'll see you next week. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.